can they perform the most crucial function of the position? This guy, seriously, I don't know what they're going to do with him. What can he do for a defense? Because he can't cover and he can't tackle. At what point do you cut the cord and just say these aren't the guys? Well, second DBU, after, after the Seminoles. Check the all-pro team. If it sounds like crap or anything messes up, blame Kevin, not me. Trust the tape on me, you know? Don't don't look at my track record. Just trust my tape. Playoffs or bust, baby. Say it a third time. I'm, I'm worried that you're going to put the jinx on them. Thank you so much for threatening me on, on my own show. On our own show. They're masters of none, jack of nothing. All right, welcome into another edition of Take It to the Bank, and we have a loaded show with you. Five minutes before the show started, we had to change our entire show script because the Ravens don't care about us, and they don't care about our cycle or our news schedule or anything that we planned on doing. So I guess the breaking news, but it's really not too much of breaking news, that the Baltimore Ravens traded Kamala Correa to the Tennessee Titans for a six-round pick. And the first question I asked Vasily Larikos is, who, who's running the Titans and why did they make that trade? What, what, what were they thinking? I'm not really sure. We've mentioned it ad nauseum on our show here. He's a better fit as a defensive end, as a weak side defensive end in a 43 front. But uh, as we know, former coordinator Dean Pease, who's now with the Titans, he, he really enjoys trying to stick uh, square pegs into round holes. Yeah, so that's like interesting. And I was mentioning to this to you off the air is that everyone always says or blames Dean Pease for Kamalai Carrera. They're like, oh, he wanted to put him an inside linebacker. Well, he just traded for him. He's the defensive coordinator in Tennessee. They just got him. So if you think that they didn't ask him anything about Kamalai Correa when they were about to make the trade, then I think you're crazy. So he definitely had a say, and I'm curious to see what role they have Correa go in there because they're seemingly set at linebacker. But as you mentioned, they do have had a couple of injuries throughout training camp in the preseason. So they, they might be using him as an extra depth piece. And for a six-round pick, why not? Yeah, and and from a Ravens perspective, I'm I'm happy to to garner a six round pick for a guy that was going to be a deep deep depth or even a, a cut, and yet also opens up a roster spot for another player here. Uh, but more relevant to the Ravens, how does this uh, this move affect their depth chart and their and their roster outlook going forward? Do you think this ensures that uh, Albert McClellan is now going to guarantee lock to make this team, or or perhaps are the Ravens content to roll with uh, with three natural inside linebackers, maybe until until Bam Bradley is ready to return from the pup list, uh, or even maybe Chris Board? A UDFA or the other UDFA, Alvin uh, Alvin Jones, who's been injured, could he grab that that last job? I'm not sure because the way that I was thinking is, I think if if they had five safeties, maybe I think it depends on the Sean Elliott health, which we'll get to. But it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like Elliott's going to be returning soon. I mean, I think he could be on the IR sooner rather than later at this point. I mean, he fractured his forearm, so that that, that could sideline him for an extensive period of time. But I think they're going to roll with three inside linebackers with Peanut, obviously, C.J. Mosley, and Kenny Young. And then I, I, this is something that's going to be a little breaking news, but this might be a reason that RG3 makes the roster. Because think about it, in the last week or, or week and a half, they've lost a cornerback but they don't need to replace him. They lost a safety for four games, Jimmy Smith. They lost to Sean Elliott, who might end up on the IR. They're not going to add another safety. They'll be, they'll be fine with five. And now they're, they gave away a, a, another linebacker. And I think, again, they, could be, they don't need to replace that spot if they don't want to keep McClellan. And that's three new spots that are opening that I think one of them is going to go to an extra tight end. 
or fourth tight end because I didn't think they were going to keep four before. I know everyone, other people are saying they were. I didn't think any there was any shot in hell if everyone stayed healthy they were going to keep four tight ends. But now they're going to keep a fourth tight end. I really think they're going to keep a seventh receiver now because it just makes sense. And I think that they're going to find a way to keep RG3 against against my wishes. I think they're going to keep RG3. I'm starting to come around on the idea of a seventh receiver as well after uh, after really a good string there of, of of luck, I guess. The Ravens were seemingly at full strength maybe uh, a week to, to uh, ten days ago, and, and they have uh, been hit by the injury bug and the suspension bug as well. And let's start with uh, perhaps the most important injury. This news dropped immediately after our last podcast uh, was finished recording. Hayden Hurst, stress fracture in his foot that required a screw. Uh, and I think a three to four week return timeline seems uh, awfully optimistic. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with like the pro football doc on Twitter? Yes. Yeah. So he is insanely accurate. And I mean, just one thing, incredibly talented guy to, to be able to just watch a video. Like I, I, I wish I was as talented at that. It's something else, you know, he was able to watch videos and then he just tells people what, what the recovery is. And he seems like very negative on the idea that three to four weeks, he kind of stretched it, to, I think to five to six, which I think at that point, if it's five to six, let's, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is just me kind of spitballing here. If it's five to six, let's say recovery doesn't go well, five to six could turn into seven to eight. Do you consider putting him on the IR and making one of the guys designated to return and then create another roster spot? I mean, at, at that point, it, it, I think it's worthy of consideration. I completely agree. Um, I would actually prefer that. I'm a little concerned that the Ravens are going to rush their valuable first round pick back a little too soon as we've seen in recent years foot injuries are, are very hard to overcome i think they've overtaken knee injuries actually as the most serious injury we've seen it from star players julio jones sammy watkins uh, our own jimmy smith i mean it really takes sometimes 12 15 months until they're 100 percent now i don't think the ravens should uh should put hurst on ir for the entire season but, but the designated to return, or actually they don't have that designation anymore, but the idea that he will go on IR and then come back week eight, week nine, week 10 has a lot, a lot of merit. Well, that's the thing is like if you do that, he comes back after week eight, starts to practice, he doesn't have to play right away, and, then you, and you have the bye week on week 10. So I think you have plenty of time to get him back. There's no need to rush him back at this. Like, I understand that, that the Ravens are in a win-now mode. John Harbaugh's on the hot seat, Joe Flacco's on the hot seat, everybody's on the hot seat, let's be honest. And I understand that, but at some point you have to think about the future just a little bit. Even if you're not a part of the future, you still have to think about the future, and you still have to think of the future of this young man and this young tight end and this first-round draft pick. You you can't just rush him out there because you don't have any other solid tight ends because Mark Andrews isn't panning out the way or isn't flashing the way you want him to, and and Nick Boyle, Max Williams are mainly blocking tight ends. That's not anybody's fault but your own because that's the tight ends you pick. So rushing him is a stupid idea. I would. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, like I said. I've said this multiple times. I, I'm not the ex, I'm not an expert in terms of injuries, but I'll say that if it's going to be closer to eight weeks, I think putting him on the IR than having him be one of the two guys designated to return just makes sense. Even if it's not, even if he's going to be fine before the eight weeks, like if it's six or seven, just put him on the list and save a roster spot. Because then, if you do that, that's another creation of a roster spot and that allows you to keep another player. Because I think people are forgetting that the Ravens are still deep all, all across the board. There's still a lot of 
guys they could take. And you have to remember, after week six, that's a great point you mentioned too. Bam Bradley's eligible to come back. Jalen Hill's eligible to come back. Quincy Adeboyjo, I'm not as high on, but he's eligible to come back. So you have three guys after week six who are going to be eligible to come back. So you can't forget those guys either. And just to, just to review the uh, injured reserve rules, uh, the, the league changed the rules so teams no longer have to pre-designate which two players are eligible to return. However, if a player is eligible to return, they have to be on the final 53-man roster on September 1st when the Ravens cut down. And then the, the next day or within the next few hours, they can then go ahead and place them on injured reserve and hypothetically re-sign the player that they gave a little uh, wink and a nod to and said, hey, we're going to have to release you, but we're going to re-sign you, you know, tomorrow. Um, so just so everyone's aware of that when you're making your 53-man roster predictions. Uh, but, but you make a good point. The Ravens are still deep. There's no question that losing their best two-way tight end in Hurst is a knock. It is going to, you know, reduce the uh, the offensive output perhaps early on. And the, they are the only place they are not deep is – offensive line specifically offensive tackle and they did incur another injury uh, Greg Sinat the backup left tackle suffered a foot injury we're unsure of the severity at this time in the game against Miami on the good news Ronnie Stanley has returned to practice uh, perhaps maybe in a in a, a limited role or a full role but maybe a little bit earlier than we expected but uh, Sanat may be another guy, depending on the uh, the extent of the injury that is looking at an injured reserve opportunity. I just want to quickly backtrack. You know, me and you are huge fans of the Ravens, the cap, capologists. We love how their cap management works. That's sarcasm if you, if you don't catch my drift. Um, the Ravens, they saved $377,000 um, in cap space with this trade. So three seventy seven dollars in cap space on this trade. So not... An incredible amount of money, not make or break, but just something worth noting. Um, here's the thing, and, and I want to I want to say this is that we kind of talked a lot about Sanat, and I think a lot of people are like, "Oh, he should go on IR, put a, or stash him this season, do what they will." But I think he's the best swing tackle they got in terms of a backup. To be honest with you, I agree, and that's why this is a concern. I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens do a little bit more wheeling and dealing and trying to find another backup swing tackle if he cannot play. Now it's going to cost a premium because, let's face it, there's a there's a tremendous scarcity of quality offensive linemen league wide. But that would definitely be a place I I would continue to to examine. I don't know about the premium part. I mean. Tony Bergstrom was not great last year, but he didn't really cost. I mean, it was a conditional seventh round pick. Lupa Wonka, I think, was a sixth round pick. And but they're interior guys, though. I think the tackles are more. Tackles cost more. I agree, but I also think that any tackle that that a team's considering trading probably isn't going to be near the their top of their depth chart, so they're probably not going to expect too much. Maybe a fifth or sixth round pick. So it might cost, if you consider a fifth or sixth round pick, that might be a premium, sure. But I just think, personally, I don't know if the Ravens would do that again because when you look at their... Okay, so here's the thing. They like James Hurst and his, flexibility, his versatility and the idea that he plays tackle. I don't know why, because he can't play tackle. He's garbage at it. I mean, do, we have, do I have to show you the Packers film again to show you, show you what he does at left tackle? He's not that great at right tackle either. So really, 
in an ideal in, in Logan's world, if I was running the team, James Hurst wouldn't be a starter. He'd be our the, the sixth man. He'd be the backup, and he'd be able to do everything because he could seemingly play six follow all five positions on the offensive line. And then you have him, and then you have Sonata seven, and then maybe Illuminor at eight, or, or maybe Nico Saragusa, someone like that. Maybe those two eight and nine, or Bradley Bozeman. I mean, there is a competition for that seventh, eighth, and ninth spots for sure, possible ninth spot for sure. But I don't know. I. I think Sonat is getting kind of criminally underrated, but I I, I want to talk about Jaleel Scott because I'm kind of fired up about this. I'm kind of I'm kind of a little pissed off that that they did this. I'll let you go first though, because I I'll, I'll let you look look bad first. Okay, so Jaleel Scott was placed on injured reserve with a quote unquote significant hamstring injury. Um, this is a, a move that that I pegged all along that many in the media believed was it was possible coming from a small school not doing too much he was held out of the game this is this is the typical uh ir stash that everybody talks about i was actually a little bit surprised they didn't try to sneak him through to the practice squad because he could have used another year on the field trying to refine his craft i think there was better odds than not that he would have would not have been claimed from waivers considering the extreme depth that receiver and, you know, with all 31 other teams, they're going to have they're going to be releasing players with more potential and better pedigree than Scott on cutdown day, in my mind. Um, but uh, he's going to be on IR. It's going to set him back a year. He's not going to be able to do a whole lot. And, and I think uh, this, this stunts his development and makes his career outlook uh, uh, downturn. That is my take. I'm glad you said it because I was going to say it more angrily. And here's the other thing. Call me crazy, call me what you will. I think he has more upside than, than Jordan Lazzi. I know everyone loves Jordan Lazzi because Mel Kuyper went on TV and said that, oh, he's a first-round talent if he didn't have the off-field issues. He's really not, and he really wasn't because the guy has so many drop issues, and it really, like, like I think when you look at both of these wide receivers, uh, Scott and Lazzi, Scott, to me, might not be the more athletic guy, but I think he's the more talented receiver. I mean, Scott, his body positioning, his body control is incredible. I know he hasn't shown absolutely anything in the preseason. I know Lasley, Lasley uh, beat a bunch of UPS workers and, and future grocery workers uh, in that in that last preseason game against the uh, Dolphins. So I know everyone's hyped about that. But here's the thing. is Lasley really hasn't done much against premier competition or better competition, I should say. He's had a lot of drops. I don't know what he's going to provide because the Ravens already have a couple players on their roster that, that have his exact skills. Said. The Ravens don't have too many guys like Jaleel Scott. My, how many guys like Jaleel Scott with this skill set are they going to have on their roster in terms of the wide receiver position? Maybe one in Crabtree. I mean, Chris Moore can't do what he does. Willie Steed can't do what he does. John Brown certainly can't do what he does. Um, Perryman, you could argue, can't do. You can't argue because he can't do what he does. I mean, it just to me, it makes no sense because they only have one other kind of like big possession type, red zone type receiver, and they're not gonna. And to keep Lasley over that because they already have several receivers, speedy guys like Lasley. Like it just it pisses me off. And and you can say, oh well, he had a significant hamstring injury. You you and I both know that that's a bunch of malarkey. You make some good points there. Um, I hear you. I think Scott definitely has has some potential, but this is a setback for him without question. Moving on to uh, even more injury news, Willie Henry, uh, who was projected as the Ravens' starting defensive tackle at three technique, 
underwent hernia surgery, abdominal hernia, apparently. The Ravens are, uh, and it's a blow, you know, he, he brings that interior pass rush. I think that's going to give an opportunity for some of the younger guys on the interior to play. The Ravens are a little bit fortunate the way the schedule shakes out that they face Buffalo week one at home. They're only three and a half point favorites in that game currently, but I believe that's perhaps their easiest matchup of the entire 16 game regular season. So that gives them a little bit of chance to, uh, to let the offensive line play together that really hasn't had much time at all to, to gel. And also you can get by with, uh, with Henry not being able to contribute, but, but that week two contest at Cincinnati on Thursday night, that could really be a pivotal game. I hope Henry's able to return in time for that one. Yeah, I, I'm curious how long Henry's actually going to be out. I think that the Ravens are notorious. I think all teams honestly do this, where they, they just get their auto random set of timelines or a random timeline just for fans and everybody else to talk about but they say a couple weeks let's just see how that works out so just to review uh, we, we ran through quite a few injuries here i would say between deshaun elliott to who that's a disappointing injury i thought he could make make some uh, some noise and, and help out in the dime package create some takeaways uh elliott sanat and hurst uh i think whoever is the least injured of the three it realistically, the least injured should should stay on the active roster as a, as a game day inactive until they're ready. And the other two should probably uh, get that injured reserve designated to return label because I think all three of those players can can help the team this year. What do you think about RG three? I think there's probably going to be room for RG three. I think it's it's a three man race between that wide receiver seven versus RG three versus that final offensive lineman to round out the uh, the offensive uh, depth chart. I think I'd agree with that. I think I I think that's that's kind of fair. Um, I want to ask you real quick before we get into our positional breakdown. Am I, am I crazy for thinking that the Ravens this year could be plagued and bogged down and their season could be ruined by terrible safety play? Am I, am I crazy for thinking that? No. In my mind, you are extremely sane for thinking that based on what we've seen on the field, especially in Tony Jefferson's return uh, to preseason action. So uh, this is the point in the show where I'm going to ask my co-host to take to unplug his mic, take off his headphones, let me rant for 25 minutes, and then we'll we'll get back to the show as 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 we normally do. Um, so here's the thing: I'll set the stage for you. Third and one, the Ravens are in cover zero, meaning that it's an all-out blitz with a couple with four guys in coverage, essentially. And since it's third and one, the idea is to go press man because you want to stop the the quick throws from happening because you want your your blitz to get home if if you're not impressed man that allows people or receivers to get open quickly and the quarterback can get rid of the ball quickly and avoid the, the blitz or avoid the pressure well three of them were impressed man and they were denying their guy the ball one guy by the name of tony jefferson was i think he was seven to eight yards back and i don't know what he was thinking and i tried to talk about it with some people to think like okay maybe he got the wrong call but then I rewatched it, rewatched the film again and again because I'm working on my defensive film piece. And for some reason, and he keeps looking over. So when he looks over, it's not hard to identify that the Ravens are in a cover zero because you look back and you see no one behind you. And then you look across the line of scrimmage, see everyone else is impressed, man. But for some reason, he's in, he's not. He's seven yards back, and he doesn't even like move forward. That's the thing that really pisses me off is that he looks over and doesn't move forward. He stays there, and everybody in the stadium, including myself, including you, everybody there. 
and everybody watching at home knew that that uh, Mike Jacecki was going to run a slant. It was fairly obvious that he was going to run a short slant to get open to get the first down. And he gets open, he runs a slant, and that's it. And then on that same drive, Tony Jefferson gets away with pass interference on, on, on Mike Jacecki again. I mean, this one wasn't even close. Some people were like, oh, I rewatched it. It's not PI. No, it was 100% pass interference. He draws contact, doesn't look back. It's 100% pass interference. And then he missed a couple of tackles. I mean, this guy, seriously, I don't know what they're going to do with him. Because everyone's like, oh, well, it was Dean Pease last year. Listen, I'm, I'm all for blaming Dean Pease for misutilizing Tony Jefferson because I think personally he didn't watch a single lick of film on Jefferson in Arizona to realize what he had because he put him in deep coverage a lot of time in cover one looks with Jefferson as the deep guy, which makes zero sense to me. Either way... I have no idea what they're going to do with Jefferson because he can't cover. He seemingly can't tackle. I mean, he had 11 missed tackles last year, which is a lot. And he's and he's going to he appears like he's on the same tra- trajectory again. And because the Ravens are such brainiacs with the cap space, they keep restructuring his contract. As you mentioned to me, they've restructured it twice now. Two times they've restructured this guy's contract. So you can't cut him. At, at some point, I think you just got to bench him because he, what can he do for an off for a defense? Because he can't cover and he can't tackle. Look, Jefferson, everyone's saying put him closer to the line, let him play more naturally. It's a more natural position. What does he, he, if he can't tackle, which he missed multiple tackles, he missed a tackle on Drake, he missed a tackle on Amendola. He, as you said, he was beaten by Jasicki twice. Yeah, what the, I don't know what this guy's bringing to the table. I, he's really. He's turning into the proverbial weakest link. The Ravens have had, you know, for a, year, a couple years ago, it was Jamil, Jamil, Jaleel, what's his name? Jamil McClain. Uh, and then, you know, and then it was Ladarius Webb. And it seemed like those guys, when it was third down and the, court, and the quarterback needed a play, they put the bullseye right on them. Well, I'm telling you what, in 2018, the bullseye is going to be right on number 23's chest on third down unless he can start making some plays. And I don't know what the solution is here. Chuck Clark has played a lot of snaps in the regular season. He's looked pretty good, but I'm still not sold that he is a guy that can play that free safety role. Um, and, and I thought Elliott had a chance to be that guy, but now he's hurt. Looking forward, I think you might want to give Levine an opportunity to, to fill that role next to Weddle in this final preseason game against Washington on Thursday. Um, but, you know. What about Chuck Clark? I said, well, Clark, I don't think he's a free safety. I don't. I know he had an interception, but he misses some tackles and he doesn't have that range to make up for other people's mistakes. And when you look at Martindale's scheme, he's just stacking the line, stacking the bots, sending blitzes, sending twists and stunts, and getting after the quarterback. And that's great, but if you don't have somebody on the back end who can who can minimize a broken coverage and make it a 20-yard gain or a 15-yard gain instead of a 60-yard touchdown, the Ravens are going to be in trouble. A couple of things for starters. Um, yeah, I, I certainly, it seems like we agree on Jefferson because I don't know. Like, like everyone, yeah, I, I love the fact that I love when the fan or the guy or the girl or the guy or someone tells me, hey, Tony Jefferson, just put him in the closer to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that's great and all, except he can't make a tackle. He's not that great in run defense. So, like, you have a guy that's like, why is he on the field? He's really on the field, only on the field because of his contract. His contract tells, him, tells us you have to play him. So, Here's my idea, and here's something that I've kind of noticed, and I'm curious to see how this works out because in the preseason, you're not really going to see anything in terms of strategy from any team. You know, most defenses just run basic coverages, got a little cover two, maybe sometimes a little cover three, but not too much. Just basic coverages, 
Not, and some blitzes here and there, but everything's kind of soft, vanilla, a little basic because they don't want to show too much, which makes sense. I'm not hating on that at all. So I'm curious to see, number one, how the Ravens with Wink Martindale evolve their defense because what I noticed um, is that the Ravens, the first kind of eight or so weeks of the season last year, they ran a lot of cover one, man. So what that pretty much what that does is it's managed coverage across the board, and you have one one high safety in the back, and pretty much that high safety kind of roams around the middle of the field, deep in the deep middle of the field, and then they have to kind of decide where to go, where to cover, and that and defenses and teams shredded that up. Teams comp- and it was after the Jacksonville Jaguars game that I think teams figured out how to beat it. It was pretty simple to be honest, but teams eventually figured out how to beat it with kind of quick routes, quick slants, pick plays, things like that. So they did that, and then the Ravens kind of evolved more to kind of cover three looks a lot maybe a little bit of cover two here and there more Tampa two as well and that was interesting because Jefferson still struggled in that role he still struggled even even just covering a deep half or a deep third of the field and I here's what I would do personally speaking I would put Maurice Kennedy's I would convert Maurice Kennedy to a safety I think he's got the the rangy athleticism and the physical ability to be a free safety I don't think he's going to be a top 10 safety but I think he's going to be better than Tony Jefferson until next year when you can either address this need in free agency or I haven't looked at the 2019 free agent class, so I can't give you a name just yet. Or you can go in the draft and get one because there was multiple ones available in the 2018 draft, but he chose not to do it. So that's my whole thing is I think that I think that right now, let go with Kennedy and then eventually figure it out. I mean, I think they're going to give Jefferson an opportunity to prove himself and that's that, that's all fine and dandy but i think that the tape's already been out on him and i think it's pretty much evident what they have with with him i i sign off i co-sign on the idea to to move kennedy to the uh to safety he he excels in zone coverage which is uh the primary function of that position problem is he's also hurt he hasn't played in either of the last two games um and i and i don't know what his timetable for return is either but i would not be surprised and i actually think it's a fantastic idea to have him take over as a starting free safety when he is healthy you know midway through the season yeah it's a it's a, it's a muscle strain uh he had, he suffered it during like the joint practices with the colts they wasn't expected to be too serious but it's been some time now so we'll we'll kind of see how everything shakes out with that i don't know i they could be just being extra cautious with him you know because he is pretty valuable especially at this point with jimmy smith gone i mean he's pretty he's pretty valuable as a depth piece so i want to move on uh cornerback let's talk about stanley john baptiste my boy this is an interesting decision for me because heading into the, the training camp i thought that there's no way this guy makes the roster a couple injuries happen jimmy smith gets suspended he puts together some a couple of good preseason games including two interceptions honestly at this point i'd say he's got a better chance to make the roster than not yeah, tip of the cap to you, Logan. You you uh, identified him as a quality player in the when the Ravens picked him up late in the 2017 season, uh, and he has played well two games in a row now. He's baited a quarterback into an interception. He had lockdown coverage throughout against Miami, and I do think he's done enough to earn a roster spot. I did my my uh, 53 man roster entry on the uh, Baltimore Ravens team website last evening, and he made my squad, and that was before. Correa was traded so so I think he especially with Kennedy's injury lingering a little bit here I think and he, he provides special teams value he's playing really well and I think he makes it well the thing that I always mention to people and I probably have said it multiple times on here this is a former second round pick he's a he's 6'3 I mean he's got incredible athleticism great size great great length great speed I mean this is a guy that seemingly should be an, a, a top tier cornerback I mean he's got 
he's got all the physical ability. Seriously, and he said it, and, and I agree. Like, and I'm not even kidding. Like, he has the physical ability to be a shutdown number one cornerback. I just don't know. I think technique he's a little bit raw. I think that he's got to develop and hone in more in terms of working on his hip movement, kind of shadowing receivers a little bit better. But seriously, I mean, he's six three. I mean, his speed, his athleticism, his mock draftable charts, intriguing. Like, this is a guy that really. If you develop him right, he could be a really good cornerback in, in a couple of years. I mean, I know time, the, the clock's kind of ticking on him, but seriously, if you if you take the time to develop on him, I think it could could pay dividends for them. Um, I want to move forward. I mean, inside linebacker position, we kind of already covered it, but I guess kind of the story here for me is does McClellan make the roster, especially now with Kamala Correa gone? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He had a missed tackle against Miami, and he was also beaten in coverage for a decent gain downfield. C.J. Board, I think he has an outside shot still. He had a nice stop on special teams, made a few more tackles on defense at a minimum. I think he's a practice squad candidate. I'm not sure. I know the Ravens value special teams, so I'd probably give – I'd say his odds are greater than not that McClellan does play or does make the – make it through cutdowns. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe the Ravens pick up another linebacker from outside the organization. I think he shouldn't make the roster, but I think he's going to, if that makes any sense. Because I think that they value special teams and leadership and some other miscellaneous character traits that don't matter. Well, actually, some of those do matter, but they value some character traits, I should say that I think they overvalue. Like, they're overvaluing his special teams ability. You can get anybody to do what he does on special teams. I know he's a leader and he's a hardball guy, so I think they're going to give him every opportunity to make the roster. He shouldn't make the roster, though. I think he he's done nothing to earn that roster spot, and I would give it to C.J. Board. I would have given it to Alvin Jones prior to his injury, but C.J. Board's look pretty good. Could be a solid uh, fourth, fourth linebacker and... Um, you know, he, he could play a role in special teams as well. So that would definitely be something else. But the other thing to remember is whoever they keep, they could kind of release or move back to the practice squad or do something with them because once Ben Bradley comes back, I mean, that's a guy who can you know can play special teams and you know he can be a solid backup inside linebacker. So that's that's kind of interesting to look at. Yeah, Bradley has some potential. I, I Hopefully he should be, you know, getting ready to start practicing early on in September, I hope. Uh, let's touch on the uh, battle for starting inside linebacker job against Miami. I thought Kenny Young was uh, was clearly the superior player. He showed off some great, exceptional sideline-to-sideline side speed, and he also uh, secured a sack on an A-gap blitz. And Peanut, uh, he also got a nice cleanup sack off a twist, but he was beaten for a long gain down the sideline by Kenyon Drake, uh, showed some poor coverage there. And I'm hoping that Young in this final preseason game can cement his his claim on that on that spot. You think he's gonna you think he's a week one starter? Kenny Young should be the starter. It, it, it's not even close anymore. Kenny Young was incredible in terms of run D and run defense and in pass coverage. I mean, we talked about when we reviewed his tape. We said the only thing this guy's got to prove to us is that he can he can be a solid run defender, and he he's proven that time and time again. He had that nice fourth and one tackle in the Hall of Fame game. He had in, in other impressive run stops too, where he's blitzing through, choosing the right gap, patiently waiting for his D lineman to kind of eat up the blocks and hitting the right gap. That's what you want to see from him in terms of run defense, and he's done exactly that. And I, and I do want to mention this is I, I and I figured this out myself because uh, I. I'm really, really smart, right? So um, there was a play against the Colts where 
Kenny Young ran stride for stride with Naeem Hines, their rookie running back who ran like a 4-3-5 or something like that at the combine. And then there was a play against the Dolphins where Patrick Nwasu got completely toasted by Kenyon Drake who ran like a 4-4-8 at the combine. So that to me should prove enough to give Kenny Young the nod because Kenny Young is seemingly not a mismatch on a running back or a tight end at this point. So I think he could be the answer to their coverage problems. Yeah, especially when you're when you were fielding two slower safeties, why not go with the faster linebacker? You know, that makes sense to me. And uh, moving on to the defensive line, um, Wormley continues to play well. He had a sack. Uh, Sealer, same thing. He had multiple pressures. I don't think there's any way he would make it through to the practice squad considering his scheme versatility and, uh, and his play this preseason and and his premium position status. I think those two guys are going to have an opportunity to play early while Willie Henry is is recovering from injury as well as Brent Durbin and Zadarius Smith. I think they'll rotate in the inside on passing downs. And then we had Carl Davis. He finally showed up a little bit, had a couple penetrations into the backfield. What, what are his uh, his chances to make the team after, after playing a little bit better against Miami? I think the defensive line is an interesting group to look at because you have like your five core guys, right? And then you have Patrick Ricard, who is becoming a core guy. And at this point, I don't know how you cut Patrick Ricard. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how you can't value Patrick Ricard as a, a rotational defensive lineman. I mean, he has to be. I mean, no, last year he didn't get too many snaps at, as a on the defense. But at this point, you really have to put him there because he's proven to be one of the best. He's proven to be one of the valuable guys because he, his motor is what really intrigues me a lot. Because, I mean, he has sideline to sideline athleticism where he's not going to stop. He's going to keep going. And I haven't seen that a lot. But if I were to guess today... And that is today on Tuesday at 11.46. I would say Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, Brent Urban, Willie Henry, Chris Wormley, Zach Seiler. And that's it for me. I'm cutting Kafusi and I'm cutting Davis. And I think Davis might get traded, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, the Ravens love their defensive linemen. We know that. They've had seasons where they've carried two pretty much exclusively game day inactives through the season. Something worth noting. Yeah, the new kickoff rules, and um, apparently coordinators are going to be using more uh, faster, smaller players because of the way they tweak the rules to try to make the game a little bit safer. So that even further diminishes the value of those of those deep backup defensive linemen and offensive linemen for that matter. Yeah, because they the the way that the rules work is that they need faster guys to get down the field so you'll see more kind of tight ends wide receivers linebackers faster linebackers in, in that in that spot let's switch to the offensive side of the ball um quarterbacks i i hate that this has to be a conversation but you had a line in our group chat and i'm gonna let you kind of tee off on this about rg3 i mean i I have my thoughts, and I, I got ripped for him, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. He was wildly inaccurate. I think there's there's accuracy where Lamar Jackson obviously has some accuracy issues, and he misses players by two yards. You know, he misses by a wide margin, but it doesn't make a difference how much you miss by if you're missing. And RG3 in his first opportunity to play against real NFL caliber competition was very inaccurate. Almost every single pass was a little bit high or a little bit behind or a little bit out in front. And 
he didn't show me that he really brings very much more to the table than Lamar Jackson does. He did have a couple nice scrambles, but we obviously know that that uh, Jackson also brings that quality. And this was really Lamar's breakout game. I'm I'm interested to see who gets the nod, who gets a starting nod against Washington, because that may tip the Ravens' hand as to as to which way they're leaning. Who is the top backup quarterback? And if it is Lamar Jackson. I don't see why you would keep RG3 around for the regular season. I don't want to hear that RG3 had to deal with a backup, a crappy backup offensive line unit. I don't want to hear all these excuses for RG3. Listen, yes, he was under pressure a decent amount of the time because the offensive line was garbage. I'll get to the offensive line in a minute and I'll give all of them the blame and the disrespect that they deserve. I'm not, I'm an equal opportunity guy. I hate on everybody, and the, the the offensive line was garbage. I mean, don't get me. We'll talk about Matt Skur in a second, but RG three. There were a couple plays where he had time, and he just flat out missed on throws. He made horrible decisions. There was a third down play where Kenneth Dixon was seemingly wide open and would have easily got the got the first down, but RG three delivered a horrible deep ball to, to Brashad Perryman. RG 3s deep ball accuracy was brutal in this game. He's not a to me. He's not better than Lamar Jackson, even at this point. I think the only – and the thing that I love when people tell me, it was like, oh, no, we should keep RG3 because he can like help mentor Lamar Jackson. If you're going to keep this guy to be a mentor, if that's your biggest reason, hey, I got a, I got an idea. There's a position called coach where that's your entire job. Make him – give him some stupid title and let him be a coach then if, that, if that's the only reason why you're going to keep him. Definitely. I said that months ago. Lamar, on the other hand, really had a good game, a breakout game. Had a nice third and long conversion on the ground and then also had a stumbling touchdown run. He was much more accurate uh, with a sidearm pass to Perryman, a few receptions to my boy Tim White. Uh, Brian Billick called his rushing ability lethal and uh, seven for 10 um, for 98 yards and a uh, 135 passer rating. He was much more accurate and much more comfortable. And I think, especially if you're going to have offensive line troubles, I don't see any reason why the Ravens should not make him their top backup and, uh, and, and see what he can do. Lamar Jackson was incredible. And I think what people have to look at is look at the evolution of Lamar Jackson. So look at his performance in the Hall of Fame game. Lamar Jackson, if he got pressured, it was I'm running and I'm scrambling and I'm trying to pick up a first down and more. Now let's flash forward to their fourth preseason game against the Dolphins. There was a play. Lamar Jackson was pressured. Tim White was covered. Instead of just scrambling because he had room in front of him to scramble, he scrambled out to the outside, but it didn't didn't cross the line of scrimmage and, and hit Tim White across the across the middle towards the sidelines on a slant. Incredible patience, and that shows me at least that James Urban, Marty Morningweg, and even Greg Roman, if you want to throw his name in there, are working and they're developing Lamar because preseason Hall of Fame game Lamar Jackson wouldn't have done that. That this Lamar Jackson's doing that. That's incredible. That's a great sign for Ravens fans and the Ravens that he's able to, they're, they're shifting his mindset to he's got to pass the ball and he's trying to evolve as a pocket passer. I mean, that's the idea and that's the hope that you really want to have for Lamar Jackson is that he's, he's mainly a passer and he's a passer first, but when 
the play breaks down, he can use his legs to create opportunities. You want him to be like best case scenario. He's like Russell Wilson. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's a lofty and that's a crazy kind of thing to say. And I understand that, but that's their best case scenario is that because if you watch Russell Wilson, what he does is he extends plays with his legs only to give his receivers more time. And if that doesn't work, then yeah, he'll scramble and he'll pick up a first down because he's fast. But that's the goal is you want to use your legs, not, purely for scrambling, but you want to use them to create more time because the defenses are going to break down if, if, if they have more, if it's more time. I mean, that, that's just common sense. So that's the goal. And that's what I like to see from Lamar Jackson. Let's go to the offensive line. I'll let you tee off on this one first because I have my own thoughts on this as well. Okay. Offensive line. I think first of all, it's worth noting that Bradley Bozeman received the start at right guard in place of Marshall Yanda over Illuminor. And Siragusa. So I think that indicates he's in line for a roster spot. Um, and he had an up and down game. I think uh, he does have some value, even uh, if the Ravens do not want to keep him as a trade chip. So looking from left to right, Stanley's getting healthy. Thank goodness. You know, he's a crucial one. Lewis actually had a very solid game. I was pl- I was pleased by his performance. You highlighted it uh, very well on your uh, film review article on Baltimore Beatdown. Um, he actually made Pro fo- Football Focus's team of the week, Alex Lewis. He did not. He was perfect in pass coverage. And then let's skip over the center position for a moment. At right guard, you have Marshall Yanda. At right tackle, you have Orlando Brown who I thought played pretty well considering, you know, he's playing against Cameron Wake, a premier pass rusher in the league. And, and Wake was really wind, lining up out wide to test him. He, he wasn't perfect by any stretch, uh, and but but he played a ton of snaps, 75% of the offense's snaps, and he held up reasonably well, at least as well as, as other Ravens right tackles recently had been able to fare. So I think with those four, if those four healthy – in week one, then those are starting for, I think the Ravens are in good shape there. The big problem remains to be Matt Scurra. And we all know problem at center can decimate an entire offensive game plan. Uh, he just really struggled holding his ground. And uh, throughout, he couldn't get movement in the, in the uh, run game. He was getting pushed back in pass protection. And I do wonder if the Ravens are going to really regret letting Ryan Jensen get away. We know Jensen was overpaid, but uh, overpaid is a relative term. And and the Ravens have other players on this roster who are overpaid. Um, And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about center. I'm really concerned. Who are those guys you were talking about that are overpaid? No, I'm just kidding. We, we know who we know who we're talking about. Um, I don't think they're going to regret not doing that with Jensen. I, I think that one, they couldn't afford to keep him for that price. We, we all know that. Two, I think that Jensen does not deserve that money now. But that was like crazy. That that was that was grand larceny I, in my opinion. I don't think that he deserved anything close to that. But that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, I agree with your analysis. Except uh, Orlando Brown Jr. had his worst preseason performance because he was playing against starting caliber players, Cameron Wake, Robert Quinn, things like that, guys like the, and uh, he struggled against a speed rush like we've kind of talked about all preseason. You know, I don't know what it is. 
for him and, and how they're going to have to work on a counter. But I think his counter, because he's not really that, that athletic, is he's going to have to, and, and I kind of talk about a lot in my film piece, is his, is his first step. So his kick slide has to be a little bit wider because when he defends the speed rush, what guys are doing is they're just out, I mean, they're just outrunning him and they're just beating him to a spot and then they're putting him in a position where if he touches them or, or, or pushes them back, it's a hold. You know, the only, the only way to stop it's holding. So you're kind of putting him in, a, in an awkward spot. So, I mean, he could rack up four holding penalties in one game if he does that. So he's got to work on that kick slide and get it farther out and be in better positioning and kind of be better in terms of the hand fighting technique because he's got to get his hands under the armpits, especially on a speed rush. But he, he did a decent job of pushing the guys kind of out of the play and out of the pocket, which, which kind of was good, but struggled a little bit against Cameron Wake and Robert Quinn. So... I thought it was a nice little test for him. I didn't think he boded or boded so well, but it was just, it was the first test. I mean, Ronnie Stanley, you know how I feel about Ronnie Stanley, but let's not forget his first game against James Harrison was an absolute nightmare, and then his second game he kind of battled back. So maybe that's going to be the case for Brown Jr., where he kind of tasted that first real pressure of an of an in-game situation against top-tier guys, and he'll, and he learned from it. Now he can move forward, knows what to work on. So that that could be the hope shot, I guess you could say. Center position. I've been pretty consistent with this since training camp, and I, I still stand by it, and I think Skur has proven me right. I think the starting offensive line should re, should be from left to left, left to right, Stanley, Hurst, Lewis, Yonda, Brown Jr. Matt Skura might be the worst center in, in pro football if he's a starter. He is absolutely terrible. His snaps are often inaccurate. He gets bullied by the by the uh, bull rush a lot. He can't hold his ground. He never resets his hips. He never gets his. He loses at the point of attack a lot with his hands. Can never get his hands under the armpits. It's just not good. And his footwork is is horrendous. Like he's not even that good at guard. Like he was getting beat a lot at guard too. I, I don't know what happened to him because he was all right last year, but he took a huge step back. And to me, starting him at center is a nightmare for Joe Flacco. Is an absolute nightmare because listen. I'm not saying the Ravens should start Lamar Jackson, but all I'm saying is that Joe Flacco is not as athletic or fast as him, obviously. So Joe Flacco is not going to be able to escape the rush nearly as well as Lamar Jackson would. And again, that is not me saying the Ravens should start Lamar Jackson because they shouldn't. But I'm just saying, given that you have Joe Flacco who's not as athletic and not really as mobile, like you need a better offensive line. It's just it's like it's like a work with Skura. We've seen Flacco behind a terrible center that was 2013 with Gino Gretkowski, which was by far Flacco's worst statistical season. And I do not want to see that again. But unfortunately, I don't think Lewis is going to get that chance. He hasn't taken, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe he's taken a single snap at center in the preseason, in the preseason games. And I don't see how that changes now with uh, with nine days until the, uh, well, I guess nine days until the, the season kickoff and, and uh two weeks until the regular season opener for the Ravens. Well, the thing that I think is so interesting is John Harbaugh, and, and I don't, I mean, I'm sure, I guess I have to believe him. He said in this press conference on Monday that, that Bradley Bozeman, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because he, t- he took a shot at, a, at, a, at a one blogger that we know. Uh, he said that Bradley Bozeman is competing for a roster spot, not a starting spot like some have speculated. And I don't think that, that Bozeman was ever really competing. I didn't really have the, 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 the thought process that Bozeman was competing for the starting center job. Kind like Harbaugh said, like some have speculated. I didn't really think he had a real shot at the competition, but I didn't think that it was nobody. Like I didn't think it was, it was Skura or nothing. I thought they, I thought they would at least throw uh, Lewis a, a bone here or there, but they really haven't. Yeah, um, 
and it doesn't look like Saragusa has been given an opportunity either. I thought he, he played right guard and fared okay against Miami. Illuminar, he really struggled after Sanat went down. I don't think he's a tackle. I know that's the rumor, and he can't play a tackle. He doesn't have the foot speed. He's was beaten regularly, holding penalty. He was even at fault for a, a, a blocked field goal when he couldn't block the man off the edge on that, and he gave up sack. I don't know if he's going to have a roster spot, to be honest. On a macro level, offensive line remains the biggest concern about the Ravens this year. I think if they get exceptional offensive line play or at least quality, competent offensive line play, they have a 10, maybe even if everything breaks perfectly, 11 win ceiling. If they have a bad offensive line play, I can see maybe a six win season, you know, maybe seven. And I think that holds the key. And this is, and I think this unit really illustrates our our gripes about cap management. Because in consecutive years, the Ravens have lost Kalecho Semele, Rick Wagner, and Ryan Jensen. You plug any one of those three, and this entire team looks a whole lot better. And but but when you front load, back load contracts, and restructure deals, and re-sign aging, injury-prone veterans, and use up all your cap space on mediocre talent you don't have the room to keep any of those guys and it's uh it's becoming something that that could really derail their season i agree how could i how could i argue with the ravens backloading contracts how, how can anyone co-sign that garbage i mean it's ridiculous it's honestly ridiculous that that no one holds them accountable for it i mean seriously what are they thinking i mean look at jimmy smith's contract i mean it's ridiculous what is it like isn't the last two years more like combined than like the first like three or four what is it something like that the last two years are i believe double the uh, the third year and as mu- and double the first and second year combined that's what it is insane insane idea for cap management and he's not the only contract that's like that uh but let's move on to the running back position i think kenneth dixon looks pretty good i mean he made i know his stats aren't sexy but he had a lot of good plays i mean he, he took that screenplay that should have been a loss because matt skura decided to block a guy behind him instead of a guy in front of him uh, which is pretty interesting to say the least and uh kenneth dixon took a play and made several guys miss and root to picking up the first down dixon looked pretty good i think dixon's done everything to earn the spot and can we give some credit to my boy delance turner i mean that was an incredible run 65 yards great blocking on that trap concept randy grisilius had a huge block sealed the backside credible job delance turner baby i said it before the season he's my guy he's not gonna make the roster but he's still my guy that was that was impressive. He looked like an Olympic sprinter out there. I also want to give credit to uh, Orlando Brown. He had a kickout block on that long touchdown run. Dixon, he's locked in for the RB3 job. I don't think there's any question about it. Edwards and Thompson, I thought they both showed some good some good aspects and also some bad. Thompson looks like a capable third down back. He's got nice hands and and uh, in the in the passing game and, and he can block pretty well too, which is key for that third down. So I think probably. I wouldn't be totally shocked if all three of those guys end up on the practice squad. I know you have limited spots there, but they've all shown something. It's going to be hard to decide who to stash and who not out of those backups. Yeah, I think that that's certainly going to make for an interesting competition. At this point, I, I think it's kind of anyone's job. I mean, all three have kind of flashed at this point, so what are you, what are you going to do there? But uh, let's go to the wide receiver position because there's so much to dissect with this with this position group. I mean, outside obviously the top four kind of locked in. Our boy Chris Scoop and Score More could be battling for more snaps because he's looked absolutely sensational this training camp and preseason. What do you do at wide receiver? 
How many are you keeping? What do you? We've kind of alluded to it throughout the show. How many are you keeping? Who are you keeping? What do you? What do you? What are you doing here? Before I before I dive into that, I just want to go on record. I think Chris Moore has a chance to to take over some some repetitions from Willie Snead in the regular season because he's he's been he's been great. Um, wide receiver. Let's go man by man here. It's a it's a four. I guess Devire Posey. He's he's maybe somewhat in the mix, but I don't think so. So it's really a four man race for two or three jobs. Jordan Lasley. Uh, he didn't have any glaring drops this week, so I guess that's an improvement. He had a couple good plays. His physicality resulted in a first down, but at the end of the day, he caught three of five targets for 30 yards on 58 snaps. I don't think that's a very impressive output, to be honest. He does seem likely to make the 53 as a weekly inactive. He only saw three special team snaps in this game, so the narrative that he brings a lot to the table as a special teamer is not really true. Um, Perryman got the start across from Moore. He did. He finally had a chance to play up a little higher, but he was pretty quiet, let's be honest. Janarian Grant, he had the first chance on the kickoffs. He looked really, really smooth. He was sure-handed as a punt returner. He maxed his yardage uh, on punt returns at every opportunity, and he looked great. So I think uh, the last man to mention here is Tim White. He only received one punt return opportunity but i would make the case that he is the best receiver out of the bunch he has crafty root running and really good hands he pulled in three catches for 70 yards and uh i think that that shows why i was uh was so high on him originally if he can maybe he's the second best punt returner and the fifth best receiver. So I don't know if that's that's worth the roster spot or not. But let me ask you this hypothetical, Logan. Week four at Pittsburgh, Sunday night football, a couple injuries arise, uh, third and ten with four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Ravens need a conversion. What receiver are you most confident in this moment right now can make a play? Lasley, Perryman, Grant, or White as a receiver? Uh, Perryman. Okay, more more than white. You think it more when you need a play third and long. Perryman has had some success against starting caliber players, and in the regular season, White's shown me that he can beat guys that are going to be working at the Giant in a couple weeks. Not that working at the Giant's a bad job; I mean, it's a great gig, probably good benefits. But either way, I mean, he's he's playing guys that are that are going to be working at the Giant or maybe Harris Teeter. So. Congratulations. Congratulations from having three catches for 70 yards against guys that aren't even going to be on NFL teams in the upcoming weeks. So kudos to him for doing that. Um, I think they're going to keep seven receivers, I especially with all the kind of turmoil that's going on with the roster and all the spots that they're giving away and losing whatever. Um, I think it's going to be Grant because I think he's the best returner. And the only problem, as you mentioned, is that White is the better receiver. I don't think, I'm not going to debate that because I can't debate that because it's wrong. White is the better receiver. There's no question about it. But White's not the better returner. I think that, that that's why they're going to keep seven receivers and Grant's going to be the returner. And I think spots five and six are going to be Perryman because they're not going to want to cut. They're finding ways to keep him and they're going to find a way to keep Perryman as their fifth receiver. I mean, Perryman's batting a solid preseason. He's going to be their fifth receiver. And then I believe that Lasley is going to be the sixth receiver. I disagree. I disagree with that. That's my prediction of what's going to happen. I mean, if it were me, I would do things a little bit, a little bit differently, but I think that's what's going to happen. Okay. Well, I think, uh, you know, White and Grant are probably both going to have a little bit more opportunity to return kicks in the final game against Washington. And uh, 
we'll see we'll see how it shakes out. I don't I wouldn't be uh totally surprised if they keep both. How about that for a bold prediction? Wow. That's that's a bold but wrong prediction. But okay. We <laughs> like that here. Um so that's going to be it for us. Uh we've we've got a jam-packed show coming for you soon. After the cutdown day, so next week we're gonna have we're gonna be pulling a couple extra episodes. We're gonna have a prediction episode coming out before Thursday night for sure. We're gonna have a prediction episode where the only episode, the only thing we're doing is we're gonna be full of predictions. We're come, we've already started working on it. We're gonna be doing predictions on all across the board about everything. We're gonna predict what whatever happens with the awards. We're gonna predict what happens with the Ravens. Everything. Who 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 wins the most? Who has the most receiving touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, etc. All that is coming in that prediction episode. We're also gonna have an episode entirely dedicated to meeting with the AFC North representatives. Uh, Brian Davis is gonna be the, the Steelers guy. Rebecca Tobacks probably gonna be the Bengals lady and we're gonna have one more person for the browns we undecided yet and they're gonna come on our show and they're gonna give us their preview and their full preview for the team after the team makes their 53-man roster set we're gonna have that coming up we're also gonna have our preview episode for the ravens week one matchup against the buffalo bills and we're working on getting a huge guest for that so stay tuned bear with me on that we're trying to get somebody huge so with all that we got a ton to look forward to so Make sure you stay tuned in. You stay locked in. Follow me on Twitter at RealLoganLevy. You hear the music. Kevin Harris, great job. You kill it as always. We're out. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.